Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Firefighter kicked in, and he just knew it was the right thing to do. There, he keeps calling me a hero and telling me I saved his life. And But uh, I just did what I think anybody would do, or, you know, at least I did the best that I could with what I had there, so... Jason Sloss, News Nation. Definitely a hero. I'm Nicole Burley. That's all for News Nation. Now, I thank you so much for watching all this week. Let's give you a look at our primetime lineup. But first, the biggest headlines out of Washington. The Hill starts right now. The Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, going after a fellow Republican from his own state, Congressman Byron Donald, this time over new standards for teaching black history. We'll talk to one of the combatants in this latest culture war battle, Representative Donald's himself, in just moments. Plus, DeSantis expected to cross paths with political rival Donald Trump and others in Iowa tonight, as a majority of the GOP presidential hopefuls attend a pivotal campaign dinner in the early voting state. This is Trump faces new charges in his classified documents case. The Justice Department accusing the former president of ordering a staffer to delete surveillance video at his Mar-a-Lago home. How will this affect the case and the race going forward? Welcome to The Hill on News Nation. I'm Mike Vaccara, and we have a great panel tonight. Joining us is Rena Shaw, a Republican strategist. Scott Bolden, always great to see him, the former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and legal analyst. Bill McGinley, former Trump White House cabinet secretary and principal of the Vogel Group. And Emily Brooks, congressional reporter for The Hill. Okay, as former President Donald Trump faces new charges in the classified documents case, one of his strongest supporters is pushing the House to expunge, effectively reverse his two impeachments. Republican Congressman from Florida, Byron Daniels. Donald's, rather. Meanwhile, Donald's himself is now facing off against Trump's main primary challenger, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Donald's is clashing with DeSantis over his state's controversial new black history, black history curriculum criticizing this one line in particular. It reads, slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Congressman Donalds joins us. I'm going to start off by playing a little bit of what Governor DeSantis had to say, and most people think it was directed at you. It's not picking a fight. It's, look, at the end of the day, Floridians should stand up for Florida. Don't side with Kamala Harris and, and liberals who are demagoguing this, these are people that worked really hard on this. Our State Board of Education approved it. You had nobody raising a ruckus about this 
until it became convenient to try to do it. So I would just say, you know, I'd ask all my colleagues in Florida, stand up for your state. And Congressman, you are, in fact, one of those colleagues in Florida. Uh, the Kamala Harris, of course, said this is an attempt by uh, Republicans and uh, the president's opponents uh, to gaslight the civil rights movement. What do you say to the governor, Governor DeSantis? Are you with Kamala Harris? Or are you with Floridians? Well, first, let's start here. I don't agree with Kamala Harris. She's tried to play politics with this, and that's what she wanted to do. Let's move her to the, to the side, because she's really not the issue at this point. When it comes to our standards, they're not controversial. Let's establish that for, all, for something as well. If you go through the standard set, they are reasonable, they are appropriate, they are robust. Children in Florida will learn black history and they'll do a good job with it. The only issue I have, and some other members have, is the one line that you just read. So if I disagree with one line, that doesn't mean that I'm disagreeing with the curriculum set. That's number two. How this all really started is that the governor's team tried to make an issue out of this because of my statement to a local reporter. So if they decide that this is the cause celeb for their campaign efforts, I think it's a dumb move, and I don't think it works, and I don't think it helps anybody. All it really does is divide Republicans and gives the left something to talk about. But if you look at what the scholars have done here, they have done a tremendous job. I've not said anything against the job that they have done, my only point has been about the one sentence that you read at the top of this interview. So, Governor DeSantis, is he dividing Republicans intentionally on this issue for his own political gain as he runs for president and the Republican nomination? No, 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 no. See, see, now hold on. Now, the way you phrase your question, this is the other problem, which is why we shouldn't even be involved in this, because now media is going to take it any way they want to to try to make it more of a story. I want to be very, very clear with what I'm going to say. The governor's team decided to take my comments and make an, and have an issue with it online, on Twitter, or on Twitter X, or whatever we're calling it now. They decided to make an issue set out of it. Is that dividing Republicans? No, I don't think so. But they are the ones that have created this story. It didn't have to be this way that we're talking about this now, because at the end of the day, I do think that the black history standards in Florida are very, very good, and they're going to help our children. One of the scholars that you mentioned, uh, I believe his name is William Allen, and he's been an activist in civil rights over the course of his career. He says Florida students deserve to learn how slaves took advantage of whatever circumstances they were in to benefit themselves in the community of African descendants. That's in response to the criticism of Kamala Harris. Do you agree with uh, Mr. Allen? Look, I think Mr. Allen is a scholar. He's gone through the work of putting this all together. So my issue really is not with him per se. It's just the fact of how do you go about communicating these ideas when you put out standards and you start building that curriculum. That's all. No more, no less. Yes, you have black people who will tell you uh, it doesn't sit well if you say that uh, slaves benefited from slavery. It right. just doesn't sit well. But is, does that make this now a massive controversy? No, it does not. We're talking about a disagreement on, 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 on distinctions, but not a disagreement on where we're going and the, and the actual goal of what's being accomplished. The fact that this has now become a news story with all the stuff going on around here on Capitol Hill, you got Hunter Biden's plea deal blowing up because it was a bad plea deal concocted by the Department of Justice to cover up for Joe Biden and their corrupt family. That's the stuff we should be talking about, not some random disagreement that basically was made to be a real issue when no okay. real issue exists. We're having a disagreement. That's okay. All right. I want to get to the presidential race and your support 
of the former president. Uh, As Donald Trump faces these new charges, he continues to be the front runner by large margins. He vowed today not to get out of the race, even if he were to be convicted. Here's what he had to say. Not at all. Uh, There's nothing in the Constitution to say that it could, and not at all. And uh, even the radical left crazies are saying, no, that wouldn't stop. Uh, And it wouldn't stop me either. Okay, Congressman, if a jury of Americans were to convict the president, could it not help the party uh, to get him out of the race before the before the conventions? No, I don't think so. And let me be very clear. And and this won't be honest with you about this. What is happening to Donald Trump is a political use of the Department of Justice. This is politics of the worst kind. This is third world banana republic stuff brought to us by Joe Biden, by Merrick Garland, and by Jack Smith. Because if you mean to tell me that they're bringing all of these charges against a former president who is the front runner for the Republican nomination of president of the United States, they all know. And it's as terrible for our country. If this is allowed to occur, will you criminalize the leading candidate so he cannot try to actually fulfill the will of the American people if he is elected president, which I think he will be, but if he's elected Mm. president, then what you are doing is you are signaling that this kind of behavior and corruption is okay in the United States. It is not. I believe President Trump is correct on this. He should not get out of the race because they they decided to weaponize the Department of Justice against a political rival. Okay, Congressman, you reference what's going on in the House. One of the things, or at least two of the things going on in the House now is one, Uh, Many members on the Republican side of the aisle in the House of Representatives are moving to expunge or effectively reverse, erase from the history books the two impeachments of President Trump. Number one, do you support that effort? And number two, uh, many of those same members now want to start an impeachment inquiry of President Biden. Do you support expunging on one hand and impeaching on the other? I do. And here's why. If you want to take a look at impeachment number one, it was based upon a phone call between President Trump and President Zelensky of Ukraine talking about potential issues of corruption around Burisma concerning Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. What have we learned? That it's all true that there was political corruption between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and Burisma in Ukraine. The Biden family was paid. Joe Biden used his office to get the prosecutor looking into Burisma fired. So the fact that Nancy Pelosi led a fast impeachment with no evidence, all based upon a phone call, and by the way, the transcript was released, and that's all that occurred. There was no public corruption, but congressional Democrats voted for it anyway. It was pure politics. There was no basis. On to impeachment number two. After January 6th, which was a terrible day in in the history of our country, it was. The Democrats ran to the floor with an impeachment vote. No evidence, no investigations. It was all supposition and emotions. And they impeached the president for that. That is wrong. That is not how impeachment is supposed to work in our country. Now, to Joe Biden. We have documented and now have corroborated with IRS whistleblowers and another FBI agent who has corroborated the fact that Hunter Biden was the front man for the Biden family to receive tens of millions of dollars for the sole purpose of Joe Biden leveraging his office as commander in chief right now. And when he was vice president of the United States under Barack Obama, we've been investigating that. And the story that Joe Biden and his White House says has never never has never measured up. No, this is important. So give me a second. All right, Congress. This matters. 
Their story has right. never measured up. So should the House start an impeachment inquiry? Yes, we should, because this is public corruption, and we have evidence unlike what the Democrats had. All right, Congressman, uh, I'm afraid we're out of time. You left a lot there on the table. We're going to be chewing on this for uh, here with the panel uh, and in the weeks and months to come. Congressman Byron Donalds, thanks for your time today. Sure. Okay, panel, that's a lot to chew on. Let's just say uh, that some of the facts, as asserted by the congressman, are in dispute. Burisma would be one of them. The corroboration from the, the whistleblowers, which, uh, you know, seems legitimate, except for the fact that it well, hasn't been corroborated. It hasn't been let's start. Let's just start with the race question and the, and the Florida thing. Yeah. And I'll start with you, Rena. Why is that a winner for Ron DeSantis to pick this fight and, and go uh, double down on this? It's not a winner. It's yeah. just a fight he's picking because we've seen him do this now for weeks on end, continue to picket things and to fight these fights that are socially related, related to, again, cultural issues and things that really, well, look, on one on the one hand, education is a very hot topic. But going at black history, whether it's AP African-American studies yeah. or how you talk about the role of slavery in our nation, it's just not something he needs to do and he continues to do it. So I, I say this. You can only show leadership a certain number of yeah. ways, and he thinks we have a short-term memory. Uh, so Bonner, Byron yeah. Dan Donald, I keep saying Daniels, Donald is supporting Donald Trump. Somebody who's running against Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis is Tim Scott, and here's what he had to say uh, about this issue. Part of the reason our country has struggled is that all too often D.C. Republicans accept false narratives and accept, uh, I'm sorry, that's from Ron DeSantis. Uh, uh, Tim Scott said there is no silver lining in slavery. That's what Tim Scott said, the only African-American Republican in the Senate. And then DeSantis shot back and said part of the reason our country has struggled is that all too often D.C. Republicans accept false narratives, accept lies are perpetrated by the left. Ten million uh, African-Americans were enslaved in this country. Forty percent of uh, 60 percent, 40 percent of them at the time of emancipation. Those skills didn't do a lot of them uh, much good. They only benefited slaveholders. Yeah. And you see, I can look at that 200 page report and I can say you had scholars on the left and right or however you want to define that. But that one line in there was, was a lightning rod, if you will, because no one, Democrats or Republicans, believe that slavery benefit, benefited anyone but slaveholders. And so I've advocated uh, publicly and privately to remove that line. It doesn't help whatsoever. And I guess if you had one-tenth of one percent of a slave who was freed and could use his services for being a blacksmith yeah. without being a slave, name them. Where are they? Because they were still it's amazing. an offensive, yeah. it's still an offensive and ridiculous but This, is, this is a winner and they're, and they're doubling down on it. I'm going to talk about impeachment. It's not a winner. You, Emily, you, no. They think it's a winner. They think it's a political Why? winner. Why? Because it exploits black people and my ancestors? I, I no, no, don't no. understand. It, it, it's that not makes about no the winning. Sense. Let me, let me tell you, I, I it's, it's why would he be doubling ego. down on it? It's DeSantis's fragile yeah. ego, yeah. and he doesn't want to understand and face reality. You have a black member of Congress. It's part of your party. Donald's. that's all I heard him say is I have a problem with that one line. Yeah. And DeSantis had to say, oh, you're part of the left for yeah. agreeing with that true. one line should be taken out. It's, it's ridiculous. And, Emily, let's come around to an impeachment. Uh, Byron Donald's other uh, Freedom Caucus members, they want to impeach President Biden. They want to reverse President Trump's two impeachments. What's going on? They're gone for six weeks. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and the interesting thing, I think, here is how Speaker McCarthy is handling this. Of course, you see members like Byron Donalds who are embracing impeaching Joe Biden. And Speaker McCarthy recently went the farthest he's ever gone, saying he thinks that there will be an impeachment inquiry opened into President Biden yeah. in the future. But he's not 
saying that he wants to take that step yet. He's not saying he, he says that an impeachment inquiry is different than impeachment. Of course, when has an impeachment inquiry ever not led to impeachment? Yeah. Ever. But um, it is very interesting to see the way that through these mechanisms in Congress, yeah. Trump supporters like Byron Donalds are able to fight sort of those battles for him. Yeah, and it, but it's not have. a done deal they're going to go for because there are plenty of moderate Republicans who don't want to don't go with it. Bill, I'm going to come back to you about some of this in a second. But it just so happens that President Biden was in Maine today uh, giving a speech on, you know, Bidenomics. But he talked about and joked about and maybe even ridiculed this drive for impeachment. Have a listen. While there's more work ahead earlier this week, The Washington Post suggested Republicans may have to find something else to criticize me for. Now that inflation is coming down. Maybe they'll decide to impeach me because it's coming down. I don't know. I love that one. All right, Bill. Uh, I'm going I'm to go back to some of the other assertions that uh, the congressman made. Sure. The first impeachment was about the Burisma thing and, and uh, President Trump's phone call with Zelensky. Uh, is that, it's not really a – it was sort of disproven during the first impeachment, and yet Republicans are going to push ahead with it. Well, look, <clears throat> I agree with Nancy Pelosi. This is probably going to be the first time you – Wow, look at that. <laughs> she said before the first impeachment, impeachment should not be pursued unless the evidence is compelling and the support is bipartisan. Yeah. And, you know, the Democrats – blew away that standard and went right after Trump in the first impeachment. Um, I think, you know, what we've talked about back then was we're setting a dangerous precedent, that we can't look to political advantage when you start impeachment okay. proceedings. Now, I think what Speaker McCarthy and others in the House are talking about is that the apex of the House powers to be able to demand information, subpoena documents, receive testimony, is when an impeachment inquiry is open. That doesn't necessarily lead to impeachment, but they're saying that the courts are going to be most sympathetic to the House side to get the information when that's open. I don't think impeachment should be a political okay. tool. Um, I th disagreed with the House Democrats when they did it to President Trump. Right. I think it needs to be overwhelming and compelling here. But I got to tell you, the evidence that the House Republicans are beginning to unearth about President Biden, I think, isn't there yet. But we're definitely on okay. the path. I'm, I'm thinking 1998 when Republicans tried to impeach, uh, did impeach Bill Clinton. It backfired on, on them in the midterm elections that year. Okay, moving on. Former President Trump is waiting to see if he will be indicted over his efforts to claim victory in the 2020 election and his actions surrounding January 6th. Meanwhile, three new charges were added to the indictment from special counsel Jack Smith related to Trump's handling of classified documents. Smith alleges Trump obstructed the investigation by ordering Mar-a-Lago security footage to be deleted. He's also charged with willfully retaining and showing a classified war plan to people not qualified to see it. Joining us now is Maryland Democratic Congressman Glenn Ivey, who sits on the Judiciary Committee. Congressman, thank you very much for joining us. Let's uh, start with the legal challenges and troubles and impending indictments, apparently more of them for President Trump. Uh, his superpower seems to be, Congressman, uh, speaking of the former president, that the more he's indicted, the more trouble, the more scandal, the more outrage from his opponents only gives him strength. Uh, what do you make of all of this that's happening that's swirling around Donald Trump uh, and how it's going to be approached in your committee, the Judiciary Committee? Well, I might be making him stronger among Republican hardcore voters. I don't think it's making him stronger for the general election uh, next November. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it's uh, really building the case against him and ensuring that uh, President Biden will beat him in another head-to-head -head race. I think you know, the House Judiciary Committee seems to be trying to line up an effort to uh, bring articles of impeachment against the president uh, and potentially other cabinet members. 
I think those will miss fire. I think the reference you just made a minute ago to the Clinton era, where they uh, coupled the effort to impeach uh, President Clinton with the shutting down of the government, totally backfired on, on the Republicans. And I think that'll right. happen again this time around, too. Yeah, it was 1998. I was there in the halls of Congress. Uh, they lost seats, did the Newt Gingrich-led uh, House Republican Conference. Uh, and Newt Gingrich, next thing you know, he was out. Uh, that didn't stop Republicans from moving forward with the impeachment at that time. So a political winner, that's a question mark. All right, let me, let me ask you about this effort to impeach Joe Biden. You saw the president making light of it uh, on his trip to Maine today. Do you think that the Judiciary Committee, led by the Republican from Ohio, Jim Jordan, is going to move forward and try to impeach President Biden, Merrick Garland, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, and whoever else comes into, uh, into their crosshairs? Well, it seems like the Freedom Caucus definitely wants one or maybe all three to be impeached. And, you know, the tail's wagging the dog in the House Republican Caucus. Uh, you know, I think uh, the Speaker's <laughs> struggling to give them enough to keep them on board, uh, but without destroying the party as a whole uh, in the upcoming elections. Unfortunately, I think he's given way too much ground to the Freedom Caucus crowd, and I think it's undermining the Republican Caucus. So. He'll probably end up trying to move forward with some impeachment articles on one of these three. I, I think they're all dead ends and, and damaging to the Republicans because there's nothing there. And, the, you know, there's no case against President Biden. I haven't even heard them see, you know, to try and articulate what would be a high crime and misdemeanor, at least at the committee level. So right. uh, we'll see how they go. But I, I think they're heading in the wrong direction. And, Congressman, you heard the former president tell a radio interviewer earlier in the show uh, that even if, you know, even if he's indicted, even if, if, if he's, he has been indicted, even if he goes to trial, even if he's convicted, there's nothing stopping him from running for president and assuming office, reinstalling himself back in the Oval Office. What do you say? Yeah, I, I, hopefully that we won't come to that. I hope the Republicans come to their senses and, and realize that this is a man who seems to be heading to jail on multiple paths in multiple jurisdictions. And they'll send a Republican nominee that uh, is a legitimate candidate and, and has actually the right to, you know, hold the highest office in the country. But uh, it looks like the, the lemmings are going to run off the cliff. It looks like they're going to support him. And I do think he'll be defeated next November. So I don't know that we'll have to worry about that issue. But it's, it's interesting to watch the Republican Party right now follow Donald Trump no matter what he does or where he goes. It's, it's surprising to me. Okay, uh, let me ask you about President Biden. Uh, President Biden, the number one concern that many people have, uh, according to polls, is his age. Uh, that people fear as though he's not his. There's some cognitive decline. He's certainly slowed down. Uh, do you think that President Biden uh, is going to go through with the nomination process? Absolutely. I, I don't have any reason to doubt that. I think he's. Um seems to be doing well uh, health-wise. Uh, certainly the economy seems to be moving in the right direction. And I think a lot of the policies that they're rolling out, uh, you know, especially from the last Congress, are going to have a positive impact on the American people. So I think he's, frankly, well-positioned to be reelected. He's got low approval numbers overall, but I, I think that's going to change over time. And especially if, he, if the Republicans put him up against Donald Trump, I think he's in excellent shape. Well, uh, Congressman Ivey, thanks very much for joining us on this Friday afternoon, a hot Friday afternoon in Washington. I know you're local here in Prince George's County, so appreciate it very much. Thank you.
All right. Okay. To the panel, uh, Trump is facing two indictments. Two more are looming. And uh, Bill, where does all this leave Donald Trump as, as we head into the Lincoln Day dinner tonight, the first debates on August 23rd, and we really get rolling on this nominating process? I think Republicans are going to rally around former President Trump. I think that the more that they try and do this, the stronger he's going to get with the Republican base. The open question is going to be the general election. And I tell you, this feels a lot like 2016, where I think Washington and the Beltway crowd may be misinterpreting what's happening. Um, he may be able to win in the general election. Um, it was an open question in 2016. He was able to pull it off. He almost won in 2020, despite everybody talking about 81 million votes. It really came down to about 70,000 votes in the key states for the Electoral College. And I think that those states are hurting, right? I heard hurting the how? I heard the congressman's statements. And I will tell you, if you ask families, how do you feel about your financial situation? How do you feel about your economic situation? Nobody's going to say, I feel great. They're even more concerned about their children's financial prospects when they get out of school. And so as long as American families feel like that, as long as small businesses are under, operating under a credit crunch and the economy is stalled, I think that, okay. the, that that is going to be a situation that could inure to his benefit. Okay. He's the, I'm, I'm going to do some... Go ahead. Not, not enough votes out here. I mean, you're talking about someone who's going to be facing four criminal cases, two at the state level, two at the federal level. He's got two right now. The reality is that from a, does he want to be president or does he want to be free? Yeah. Does he want to have his liberty? And the criminal justice system could care less about the MAGA supporters. Uh, uh, Rena, what's the difference between, Bill said, 2016, where he surprised everybody, and 2024? So many differences. Uh, because the country... We know him now. Yeah, <laughs> we well, know right, him now. Eight years of drama. Yeah. Suffered. Let's not forget, in the pandemic era, we suffered because of the Trump administration's leadership. I have to be frank with you and tell you, there are so many Americans that lost family members who remember how the administration failed us. And I'm not saying the Biden administration was perfect, and I'm not saying this pandemic was truly the coffin and the nail for Trump, but maybe in some ways it was. There are younger Americans who, yes, feel the squeeze of the economy, despite the Biden administration going out there and saying everything's hunky-dory daily. They say, look at his legislative record. Look at inflation cooling. It's not enough. That government statistics, when though, I, show that the economy is I, I will say when we're talking about the impact of the indictment, it does keep President Trump in the news all the time. When Going back to 2015, 2016. He's definitely, that's part of his superpower, one right? Of, one of the things that people said the reason why he shot up is because there was so much attention on him. And when I talked to supporters of Governor DeSantis, who are wondering when he's going to, uh, you know, go up in the polls. They look at these indictments and yeah. they say this is helping Trump. So people that's who don't, I think it's temporary win. help. I think you these think are so? temporary boosts of support because there's a feeling that. Okay, there's something awry here. There's something wrong with him I being think. charged criminally over and over again. But where there's a crime, hey, somebody it's, should do this. something going to get worse. <laughs> where are the, who are the independents going to vote for uh, in the general? Seventy percent are against Donald Trump right now. And they now. want to take a chance the on more something new. Well, maybe, but maybe, equal amounts maybe. Too, right? But you can't there's win with MAGA supporters in the Biden. general. You cannot win with MAGA voters during the general election, and you're going to need independents. But unlike in 2022. Oh, the Democrats were able to pull out a victory based in part on a better get-out-the-vote machine and the Dobbs case. And the Dobbs case. Right? Um, now, President Biden's name is on the ballot. And when you look at the lack of support that he has with independents, he's in real trouble. All when right. you look at the number of Democrats who don't want him to run again, all right. he's in trouble. All right. We could do this but all, all right. But if we he's got, on we the ballot, he'll, he'll, he'll vote sure for it. Biden's on the ballot, they're going to vote for it. All right. Okay, coming up, a pivotal moment in the GOP presidential race. As the candidates, including Donald Trump, gather in Iowa. What's at stake tonight? And who could break through? That's next. 
You're on the hill. Welcome back. Tonight, 13 Republican presidential hopefuls will appear and speak at Iowa's annual Lincoln Dinner in Des Moines. Among those headlining the event, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. News Nation correspondent Kelly Meyer joins us now with the details. Kelly? Well, hey there, Vic. I'm watching for the rest of the Republican field tonight. We know Iowa voters are smart. They can see through some of these guys. And this is the rest of the field's chance to strike with the new charges against the front runner and a sharp decline in Iowa polls for the runner up, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So the rest of the pack is trying to show Iowa caucus goers that the current two top candidates aren't their only options here. So here's Vivek Ramaswamy to News Nation's Chris Cuomo on his pitch. Take a listen. I do think it takes an outsider, somebody who has been a CEO, somebody who has actually led people, including honestly generating wealth in the private sector. Trump did some of that, but to combine that with also somebody who has a deep understanding of the Constitution and the laws of this country. Ramaswamy has a strong ground game in Iowa. We saw him there in early May, putting in the time on the campaign bus. That may be paying off for him now. And as for Governor Ron DeSantis, he may be runner-up no more. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott gaining on him. One poll showing Scott coming in third with 11 percent and DeSantis with 16 percent. Still Trump at the front with 46 percent. Now super PACs for DeSantis and the other South Carolinian in the race, Nikki Haley, are focusing in on Scott. Now speaking of super PACs, DeSantis featured as a special guest on his super PACs bus yesterday. Super PACs aren't allowed to coordinate with the campaign, but there are loopholes like allowing the candidate to appear as a special guest at a Super PAC event. DeSantis has lost one third of his staff in recent weeks and is dropping in popularity. So I'm curious to see what he has to say tonight as well, you guys. Okay, Kelly Meyer. Really interesting. We've got superpowers, we got super PACs, we got super PAC buses. <laughs> it's a super. All right. Uh, let's get to this Iowa dinner. I'm going to show all these people that are, this is the cattle call to end all cattle calls, right? We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yes, thirteen candidates appearing all on the same stage on the same night. Um, How long do they get to speak? Okay. You Two guys. minutes, five yeah. minutes. All okay. right. Listen, I've hosted, I'm sorry, go right no, ahead. No, I'm just saying, I, okay, so Vivek Ramaswamy, having a moment. Tim Scott, as Kelly reported, climbing in the polls. One of them is going to emerge as the anti-Trump because DeSantis is sort of not the anti-Trump. He's sort of Trump with uh, more of an edge in some areas. So I've hosted these annual dinners, the Dems and you the Republicans. Have. I have, as a state party chair for about three or four years. Yeah. So I've hosted three to four of these. The 13 candidates, what, you ought to, what we ought to be looking for is the attack on number two or three isn't who they ought to be attacking. It ought to be Trump. Now, you got, can't go around Trump. You've got to go, either go through him. It'll be interesting to see the strategy of the other 12 candidates okay. as to how they attack and whether Donald Trump attacks them when he gets his shot and who speaks in what order. Now, it's really interesting. I've attended many of these Lincoln dinners from my local GOP. Right. And I've got to tell you, these are used to be places where you talk about the values, you sort of talk about yesteryear, and, and also you want to make the case. Why are you best suited for the nomination? This is very unique because Trump is going to be there, and he looms large, and he does things his way. He's highly unconventional, and I could even see him 
his team staging an actual physical sort of meeting really? with DeSantis because I think they're all aching for that. They all need a moment in which something happens. This crowded yeah. field is so ridiculous. And look, the RNC chair, Ronna <laughs> McDaniel, she has created this pledge and, and, the, and then beyond the pledge is you need to pull a certain number, you need to raise right. them a certain amount of money. But I mean, you've got this assembly. Right. This is this the, the winnowing out process is going to begin. Emily, yeah, I want you to come cannot, You yeah. cannot Bizarre. understate the importance of Iowa for Ron DeSantis. And when I talk to some of his congressional supporters about his campaign shakeup, his dip in the polls, they're encouraged by the changes he's making in his campaign. They're hoping that when he arrives in Iowa and he's talking to voters, he can show that little bit more personal side, personable side that President Trump does really well with, really connecting with people. And so this is really one of those moments for him to connect. So it's with a pivotal Iowa. moment in terms of his support in Congress, the people that are that are watching him, supporting him, want him to do well this weekend. That's a great point. Mm -hmm. Okay, coming up, RFK Jr.'s plea for, prote for uh, protection. The presidential candidate invokes his father, his assassinated father asking the government for security ahead of the election. Should he get it? We'll discuss that next. I really hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Welcome back to The Hill on News Nation. I'm Mike Vicara. Democratic presidential candidate RFK Jr. says he needs Secret Service protection. In a tweet, the Democratic presidential candidate said, since the assassination of my father in 1968, candidates for president are provided Secret Service protection, but not me. Okay, joining us now, former Secret Service special agent serving in the Presidential Protection Division, Mike Matranga. He's also the founder of M6 Global Defense Group. Mike, okay, is he right? Does he have a point? I mean, I know there's the letter of the law in terms of the procedures that the Secret Service follows, but there is some discretion here. There is some discretion. I do think he does have a point. I mean, you have to consider the fact that, you know, not only in 1968 was his father assassinated in the same position in which he's, you know, running for right now yeah. uh, in the same capacity, but his uncle, who was the president of the United States. And so, you know, if you look back at historical data, in 1981, Jesse Jackson was awarded Secret Service protection. Uh, that At that time, that was the latest uh, any uh, candidate had been awarded uh, Secret Service protection and then followed by, uh, you know, President Barack Obama, February of 2007, when he announced it. And I was actually on his detail in May, uh, May 3rd, 2007, oh, you were. when we picked him up. Yes. And so we picked him up 18 months out. So if there's anybody that I think is a candidate, uh, I definitely would say it would be Robert Kennedy Jr., yeah, so 18 months before the election, you were on uh, then-candidate Senator Obama's uh, protection detail. Uh, that's fascinating. Yes. Was that something that, that Senator Obama, was he welcomed? Is that something he thought was necessary? I do. Um, I think that, that there was a lot of things in place, um, him being the first African-American, what I believe is the true legitimate first African-American candidate. Um, I, and, you know, with intelligence uh, back in 2007 and 2008 driving that decision, I believe it was the right decision. Um, I recall May 3rd, 2007, the first day that I worked the shift, I was one of the first agents assigned to him. And so I definitely think that it, it you know, there is some discretion, but if there's anybody who's going to be a candidate to receive right. this type of level of protection, it's Robert Kennedy Jr. And we should note uh, that Donald Trump got it early as well in 2015, as did Ben Carson. Of course, uh, he had a moment in that race in, 20, in 2015 and 2016. Of course, the African-American uh, former surgeon at Johns Hopkins went on to, to lead HUD. Uh, but there's a process in place. It's basically 
the uh, Director of Homeland Security, uh, the, the Secretary of Homeland Security, can consult with congressional leaders. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, who's in that position, says he did so, and he said in a very terse letter back to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, that he made public, said, sorry, we, we can't do it for you. Uh, so is there going to be pushback there? Is, the, is this decision subject to politics? It would seem that it is. I think it is subject to politics, though it should not be. Um, the facts should, should speak for themselves. Um, but what I think we're seeing here is that we're seeing an unconventional candidate in Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, and some within the Democratic Party to include the president, I truly feel um, are intimidated. And so, you know, at any time, the Secretary of, of Department of Homeland Security or the president of the United States can, can grant that permission for the Secret Service to pick up Robert F. Kennedy. They just don't want to at this point, I believe. They don't want to. And why do you think they don't want to? I believe that he's a threat to the president's candidacy. I see. So you think that the president has some uh, say in who gets covered and who doesn't, who gets protected? He absolutely has say in who gets covered and who does not. When I was on President Obama's detail, um, you know, we were covering staff members who we felt like didn't need protection. Um, and he was the one who granted them the ability to have that protection through the United States Secret Service. It's no secret. Uh, uh, well, that's certainly interesting, Michael Matranga. Uh, we thank you for your time. We're going to explore that a little bit further. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Okay. Okay, panel. Um, a political angle here. The pre President Biden, according to Mr. Matranga, doesn't want RFK Jr. to have protection. That's sort of an explosive charge. Oh, well, but it's an open secret, right? I mean, shouldn't the president make some sense of a determination, right, of who deserves... Yeah, but I mean, this is someone who's running against him. Uh, I mean, is this an objective, okay, look, look, is an objective observer of this problem? RFK Jr. is having a moment. We can acknowledge that. He yeah. is surging in some polls, I guess. I, I mean, I've seen a News Nation poll, right, from this, uh, this 14, middle of the month. What are you okay, not surging. This one shows... I, went, I mean, it's not... I mean, it's better than, like, 4%. 29% somewhat favorable. Hold on, 29% somewhat favorable is no small thing. I mean, that shows that he's got liftoff here, but he's still a private citizen. And being a private citizen, let's remember what he's claiming. He's out there pushing conspiracy theories. A part of him probably wants this because he knows he's saying dangerous stuff that doesn't jive well with yeah. people. But let's look at the reality also. He's not his father. I, you know, I think most people are sympathetic because of his father, because but his father was a sitting but, but senator. And Sirhan Sirhan, who assassinated his father, was a Palestinian man who took great issue with Senator Robert Kennedy's stance on U.S. supporting were Israel. Great issue with exactly. But if it's a credible... Exactly. His campaign has, a, if, like, from what I understand, a private security firm that, with the application, submitted about 67 pages of why we think this, these are credible threats against him. And I think, you know, when you have somebody with a Kennedy name, given that family's tragic history... When you give the supercharged partisan times we're in, let's err on the side of caution. Maybe. Why not give it's okay, US but I mean, dollars. According to the president, it's supposed to be a credible speaker, threat. the majority leader, the minority yeah. leader. He's supposed to consult with yeah. all. The Majorca says he did. Okay, but if, if, if they didn't find it was a credible th threat, then let's not make this a political decision. His father, when he ran, um, certainly was assassinated, but the standard of review or the measure should be whether this was a credible threat. And the government did not believe, at least at this point, that it's a credible threat. Now, the risk is what you said. If something happens to him and Biden didn't sign off on it, then that's a that's really bad, right. and that's going to be another political issue. Right. So that's the risk, and I think I would err, quite frankly, on the I mean, no, why I not? Why not? Protection. Protection. <laughs> because he could have his own. I worked on two presidential right. campaigns. We pay for our own security. 
All right. That's how it should go. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Coming up, a story off the hill capturing national attention. An Alabama nursing student claiming she was kidnapped. We know she made it up. And today, a big development in the case. We'll check in with Elizabeth Vargas next. Okay. Welcome back. Prosecutors in Alabama are filing charges against Carly Russell. She's that Alabama nursing student who claimed she was kidnapped before admitting it was a hoax. The 25-year-old now faces two misdemeanors for false reporting to law enforcement and falsely reporting of an incident. Elizabeth Vargas joins me now. Elizabeth, uh, what's going on here? Well, I can tell you there's a police chief in Alabama who's really frustrated. He gave a news conference today that was really kind of stunning. Um, he's deeply frustrated that she's facing only two misdemeanors and that she's already out on bond. Um, he has vowed to uh, lobby the state legislature in Alabama to change the law to make it much more of a crime with much stiffer penalties to falsely report crimes like this. He said this is not a victimless crime. Uh, people, you know, spent many, many days, two days straight around the clock and expended a lot of public resources uh, searching for her. He said it also victimizes people who actually have family members who are, in fact, actually missing. So we're going to dive into what happened uh, tonight in just a few minutes, as well as what might happen uh, legally, what the stiffest penalties are that she might face for this. In addition to all this, you know, we still don't know why she did it or where she was all that time that she was missing. So there's still lots and lots of questions. Oh, yeah, that is really. a strange case. It's Absolutely. A strange case. Well, yeah, thank you, Elizabeth. And you can catch Elizabeth Vargas reports at the top of the next hour in just a few minutes. I'd say seven and a half to be exact. Uh, that's at 6 p.m. Eastern. Coming up, I wonder. Welcome back. We all know the Statue of Liberty as a symbol of freedom and democracy stands stoic in New York Harbor since 1886, a gift of the French. But what if she stepped off that pedestal, inviting an intimate discussion of life and liberty itself? A new exhibit going on display in Arlington, Virginia, just across the river here next month. It does just that. Have a look. We're looking at a 25-foot-long reclining Statue of Liberty, and I was thinking about monuments where the political meets the aesthetic. Right now, it's at eye level with you. The eyes are about four or five feet. Can we represent this iconic symbol moving on to a different stage that we, we're not quite aware of yet? She was silhouetted very clear. One of them wrote about standing on deck as their ship entered New York Harbor. We passed her very slowly. Of course, we had to look up. She was beautiful. You know, there's a sense of whimsy, a sense of fun. It's this sort of recognizable icon in this unexpected pose. But then it also, there's all these other conversations you can have around it. You know, sort of what does the Statue of Liberty represent? What are those ideals of, you know, freedom and democracy? And then also, to the Statue of Liberty being tied to immigration and then the nation's history of welcoming immigrants and refugees. It's on the ground. There's no pedestal. There's no admission ticket. There's no velvet rope. You can climb on it. You can touch it. There's no separation. For the, the real Statue of Liberty, it's on top of a pedestal. It's an ideal that's literally and figuratively above people's heads. And so this one suggests a little bit like maybe liberty maybe freedom are these things, not um, ideals that are we can't reach, but maybe something that we need to touch and everybody needs to participate in a little bit each day. 
Okay. What do we think? That's kind of offbeat. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to think, Emily. What do you think? Well, I think that with Congress heading into August recess, that's a little bit how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> that's you on the Ready beach this relax. weekend? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Anybody? I was thinking about that. Bring me your, your weary, but with yeah, her oh, laying down. Oh, you're with tired. Down, yes. You're tired that when she lays down, she's telling immigra- immigrants, come sit next to me. I want to talk to you. There you go. Mm-hmm. At ground level. Right. I, I love how the artist kept it open to interpretation there. And uh, every time that civic engagement and art can collide, I think it's a beautiful thing. I like that. Okay. All right. Thanks for watching The Hill on News Nation. We will be back at 5 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Elizabeth Vargas reports starts right now. Two misdemeanors and $2,000 bond. That's all an Alabama woman is facing tonight following a fake kidnapping call that had a community on edge for days. Carly Russell was arrested this afternoon and a charge with two counts of false reporting.